Bible's open to Matthew 20. Anyway, as uh, we're not going to be focusing on the section about the blind men at the end, but pretty much the rest of it we will be. And we will be dipping in and out, re-looking at certain verses as we go. So if you've got your Bibles with you, be good to keep it open. Let's just pray first. Then as always, we'll dig deeper. Lord Jesus, once again, we have the privilege of opening up your word, your scripture. God breathes scripture, a revelation of eternal holy God to man. Lord, may we not lose sight of that fact this morning as we hear from you. May it truly be from you. I don't want, to be, don't want this to be Stevie's clever words. I want this to just be you speaking to us and to me, challenging all of us, including myself. Lord, speak to us about what it is you want from us in this world, this life, this week, this month, this year. Things we need to do, things we need to change, things we need to stop doing. Lord, ultimately, by your Holy Spirit, may you speak to each one of us this morning through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you ever think that life is sometimes is a bit unfair? Do you often think that? Do you see other people being favoured and resent it a little bit? Wish it was you? Do you see other people who seem to get an easy life compared to you? And you resent it. Jenny and I have got a friend. He's, he's one of those people, he pulls into a car park that's full up. And as he pulls into the car park, a car pulls out in front of him and he slides into their space. He just, every time, he's just one of these people. The financial decisions he's made, he's just landed on his feet. And when we've made exactly the same financial decisions in the same season, it's gone belly up. What's all that about? He's just, he's just one of those people. We, we know these people. Do you sometimes see people being recognised in church and you're not, and you feel left out? Do you find yourself in a habit of comparing yourself with other people? That, I believe, is God's intention this morning and principally through this passage, through Matthew 20 today. The principle is this. You have an attitude. I have an attitude. The question is, is it a good one? Or is it a bad one? We're going to look at the story. Can we have the um, slide up in a minute? Is that right? Cheers. Is that a problem? Is it all right? Yes, please. Thank you. Hey, there it is. Um, we're going to look at the story of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus tells. We're going to look at James and John and Mummy having their little sneaky aside with Jesus. And we'll be looking at the pivotal few verses in the middle of those two sections of the narrative, which is Jesus' prophecy of what will happen in just a few months' time. Let me just explain why Jesus keeps using the parable, uh, using the picture of a vineyard, first of all. The vineyard is, uh, it's been a symbol of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, throughout the Old Testament. It's used in quite a number of places. And principally, grapes were one of ancient Israel's greatest commodities, one of their greatest crops, most important crops. And so this picture is common to man, they understand what it means, and so God used it quite a lot during the Old Testament. And this continues in the New Testament as well. Yeah, I am the vine, John 15 and so on. This continues to represent not just Israel, but God's people at large in the New Testament. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's about being rooted in Christ, if you get the analogy. Rooted firmly in a firm, firm strong foundation in him, secured in him by his work on the cross. 
being tended to and pruned by the father, the gardener. Pruned as in being disciplined, being guided, being corrected. And bearing fruit that spreads further in the world. And that's why this kind of picture of vines and grapes, vineyards, etc. keep cropping up throughout the Bible. So who is Jesus speaking to? Who is Jesus speaking about? It's been suggested that this story is about salvation. It's about the marketplaces of the world, the vineyard is the people of Israel, and now the church in general. Which, there is some element of truth to that. But we mustn't just fix our eyes on that and think, these workers who turn up in the 11th hour and get the same wages, this is 11th hour conversions, deathbed conversions, people who get saved just as they're dying, they get the same rewards as we do, stuff like that. A lot of that's true. But we shouldn't just leave the story there. It goes so much deeper than that. There's, there's a greater point to this. There is a context. Always remember, Matthew. this is really complicated, so you've got to think hard about this. Matthew 20 is preceded by Matthew 19. Okay? Don't forget that. It's very important. Those numbers weren't in the original text. Okay? They've been put in since with the translations into our language to help us break it down to know where to find the passages we're looking for. It makes life easier for us. But don't assume Matthew 20, this floating island, like any other chapter, any other section, even some of these little paragraphs with little headings above them. They weren't in the original text. Always remember, this is in context. Matthew 19, at the end of Matthew 19, this has come straight off the back of Peter himself, one of the disciples, has said to Jesus, we gave up everything for you. What do we get out of it? Where is it? Chapter 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So Jesus tells this story. The point of this tale is, and we're going to look at it, the point of the tale is what the owner said and what the workers said. Two very important things. And it's all about attitude. Jesus is answering this issue that is inherent in the church. It was inherent amongst his, his church then, the disciples. It's all about attitude. It's to the church about the attitude. And he's saying, mind your attitude. Say, I've got attitude. Say it again. I've got attitude. Excellent. Let's look at this story then. There's three types of workers and there's two kinds of attitudes. Not good ones. Then we'll look at a third good one, which we've got up here. So at the first hour in the morning, early in the morning, this is about 6am in the morning, is how Jewish people at the time refer to the hours of the day. First, third, fourth hours. It all starts from 6am. So 6 in the morning, the owner goes out to the marketplace to look for workers. These workers there at 6am, they are keen. They want to work. They want some money and they're willing to work a long, hard, hot day for it. These guys are waiting for purpose and they are given purpose. They are intentional. They are deliberate. But ultimately, they still have the wrong attitude, which is the problem. If you look at verse 10, this is at the end of the day when the, the owners hired a whole load of workers throughout the day Verse 10, so when those who were hired first, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them, each one of them also received a denarius. They expected more, but they had never been promised more. The deal all along had been, verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius, an average day's wage, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. That was the verbal contract. At the end of the day, they get the ump when they're paid what 
they were going to get paid. Only because more workers had turned up during the day, work less than them, got paid the same. Notice they're the only ones who've been given a price in the first place. Because the second group is quoted as, they, uh, I will pay you whatever is right. No number. The third group of people get no mention of pay at all. But ultimately, they all get a denarius at the end of the day. Is this coming through loud enough? Is all right? Just checking. It's all right. So the trouble is, we can look at others, we can see others that haven't worked as hard as us, or worked as long as us, or been saved as long as us, and they seem to get more favour than we do. They seem to get more recognition than we do. And we can get the right ump about it. It's easily done. It's easily done. We can see them blessed and we can see life comes easy to them. We can complain or we can get bitter either with God or with them as well. It can affect our relationship with how we deal with them. Well, it's all right for you. You're always used up the front playing your guitar or whatever. Something I've got to be careful of. I see people being used at big conferences. Like, why can't I have a go at that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Bitterness can fester within each of us without even realising it's happening sometimes. We've got to be very careful. Just think of Mary and Martha. Story in the Gospels of two sisters. Jesus comes to their house. Martha is a faff queen. She's a control freak. She's so obsessed with the housework, the cooking, mopping the floors, chopping the vegetables, microwaving whatever courses she needs to do. While Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet because Jesus, the King of Kings, the Messiah, is in her house and she's not going to miss every minute of this. She's going to sit at his feet in relationship with him and just make the most of his presence. Martha's in the kitchen trying to get everything done and ticking all the boxes on the to-do list. So Martha gets the right hump. So she moans to Jesus, well, why isn't my sister helping me? She's allowed bitterness to fester because she obsessed, she's obsessed with doing, 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 doing. That's not to say the housework didn't need doing. They wanted some food prepared for the meal. But all she had to do was go to her sister and say, could you give us a hand? But instead, she let bitterness fester and it affected her relationship with Mary. See, comparing ourselves with others is a tendency for all of us. We can all do it. We're all human. We're all capable of doing it. And if we're not bitterly wishing others weren't so blessed, hopefully we don't do this all the time, but I know we're all capable. This is what I'm saying. It can still even be in enjoying a conversation with someone else that bigs you up and puts them down, even if you do it in a clever way. They were really, really good this morning. A few bum notes. <laughs> it's what I normally do anyway. But all of a sudden you can make yourself out to be a bit bigger and then a little bit less. We've got to be careful with our language, haven't we? It reveals our heart. So that's the first lot of guys. 6am in the morning, keen, still a wrong attitude at the end of the day because they compare themselves with these guys who've worked one hour and get paid the same money. So the second kind of collection of Workers arrive at 9am, at midday, and at 3pm. These guys start in verse 3. About the third hour, 9am, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. They're standing idle in the marketplace. They're available, and they're still waiting to be asked. The marketplace is the common place where people used to gather to be hired. If you're looking for workers, that's where you went. But these guys possibly have little initiative... They may not have put themselves forward for work. They were standing in the work, around in the marketplace, doing the right thing, looking keen. But when the owner comes up, he's always got that vineyard. I'll be there all day. I might wait till later, so I'll do a shorter day. 
just, the, just stand back and just hover around and let someone else get chosen. It's possible. It could also be possible that they were keen, just weren't chosen. And that is a danger for those of us in leadership. We need to make sure we don't oversee people who can and should be used, who are able, and we fail to recognise. Something we as leaders need to pray about. So it could legitimately also be innocent that these workers are left in the marketplace just because they've been overseen. There's a third group of people in verse 6. About the 11th hour, 5pm, he, the owner, went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. He found others standing, five o'clock in the afternoon. This is like me at school. I've got a very athletic physique, I know. <laughs> Clearly not. I was always the last to be asked. You know, you know, you know the, the teacher, the PE teacher gets, you, you be a captain, you be the other captain, right, choose your teams. And they go through, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. <laughs> Guess who's left? Hey! Uh, Margaret as well. Jen, Jenny was always the one left, so we were clearly made for each other. I was always the last one to be asked. That's kind of like these guys. So it could be they have been overseen, or they don't even look up to the task in the first place. It could also be they didn't have any direction, and didn't put themselves forward enough again. It could be that they're lacking initiative, don't want to work. They want to be seen to be looking like they're looking for work, but don't actually want it. Said so to the missus, off to the marketplace today, go sit around, have a couple of cups of coffee, chat with their mates, go home at the end of the day. Sorry, love, no one chose me. It's possible. It's an attitude that can happen. Vineyard pew warmers, if you like. So that's the three types, three types of workers. But there's two attitudes here, aren't there? First one, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? Verse 15. The owner says this to the workers who just complained that they're getting paid the same after working 12 times the amount of hours. Verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? This is what the owner is saying. Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. You see, the trouble is, we claim our rights. We claim we have our own expectations of what our rights are. These workers were quoted a denarius for a day's work. And yet they expected their rights to be, well, these guys have turned up, worked an hour and got paid the same as me, therefore my right is to be paid 12 denarius. Because we claim our rights and forget God's. The owner is saying, well, I'm the owner. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? We had an agreement, I'm paying you. And I can do what I want with the other workers. So we're thinking, will I get recognised? Will I get praised for doing this, for doing that? For working really hard behind the scenes, but in such a way, hopefully I'll get noticed or thanked. The problem is, God is not a character in our story. I'm Steve, I'm a paramedic, I also work for the church got a lovely wife and daughter, got God in my life, Jesus has saved me, I love movies. He can be a a character in our story. Not at all. We are characters in his story. We must never, ever, ever, ever forget that. Never forget that bigger picture. 
We will be rewarded according to our kingdom efforts. The Bible talks about that. I'm not going to go into looking at crowns, etc., etc. in the Bible. We will be rewarded for our efforts for him. But it's not about how much we do. It's not about quantity. It's not about how long we've been saved and how long we've been doing it for. It's all about the attitude of worship behind it, the reasons behind it. So here, Jesus is not speaking into getting extra reward for the amount you do or how long you've been saved, because that goes completely against the grain of the gospel, defeats the object of the gospel. But it's all about having a servant heart. So with our Amy, we've got the little rewards chart going again to help out around the house, but also mainly because her bedroom, her bedroom is... I'm sure we've had an earthquake under our house as well. It's, you can't see carpet. It's horrendous. Hate it. Well, I can't go in there. So we've got a rewards chart going again. All of a sudden, hello, what a difference. Because she's desperate to tick those boxes to achieve that prize at the end. That's not a worshipful heart, is it? That's doing what's required to get what she gets out of it. Now, she's seven. I'm not blaming her for that. I'm, I'm entirely with that. I get that. She's seven. That's fine. And it means my house is a little bit tidier. But for us as adults, we can still have the same attitude. I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, to please God, to get this, to get a bit of recognition, everybody think I'm great. That's not a worshipful attitude, is it? That's not a servant heart. So that's what do I get out of this. But the other attitude is what's the least I can get away with. There's always a danger as well. You can be idle but work when asked. Or you can be bone idle and refuse to work when asked. It's possible. It can be this feeling can come from a legitimate feeling of feeling overwhelmed by the task ahead of you and feeling underqualified. Again, that's the gospel. Because <laughs> the mission at large for the church in sharing Christ with the world is overwhelming. And we are underqualified. That's the point. But Christ makes it possible when we worship him. Or it can be simple laziness. But ultimately that dishonours God, dishonours the church, hinders the church's progress. Imagine if none of us are lazy, we don't have the 20% of people doing 80% of the work or however the ratios go these days. Imagine 100% of the church are all hands on deck. Imagine what a difference we would make, not just Beacon, but the church at large, what a difference we would make in this town if 100% of us were all hands on deck. Just imagine. Does that excite you? Because it should do. It should do. Always remember, this is not about you. This is God's story, not ours. Because the reality is, read through verses 10 to 12. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Here we go again. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Equal. Equal. We are all equal in his sight. There is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female, no able or disabled, 
no Apple or Microsoft. We are all the same in his sight. Unfortunately, knowing that can make us lazy as well. There's others around who do get that all hands on deck business, so they'll do it for me. I don't need to put myself forward. There's always someone else, I'm sure. There's always those few who, if no one else will put their hand up, will fill the gap. So thank God for them. Again, that's not a worshipful heart. I won't bother so much or so let someone else have a go, but you're missing out, if that's the case. Putting your shoulder in to do the hard work is tiring, and it is a sacrifice for kingdom work, for reaching out to the people around us in this town, for sharing Christ with them. But you're missing out if you don't do it. The difference it makes to you, the difference it makes to your relationship with Christ, the fruit you see as a result is immense. So don't let that put you off. Because what does he call this worker? This guy has come moaning to him. Verse 13, what does he call him? But he answered one of them, friend. <coughs> not worker, not employee, not by his last name, he calls him friend. He's more than just a worker, he's a friend. This is not just a business contract. Jesus is taking it, is, is giving it a greater meta-narrative, a bigger picture to this story and saying, your relationship with me, your security in the kingdom of heaven is not a business contract. This is not, you come in, be one of my people, you do that and I'll give you this. So much more than that. This is a genuine, loving relationship with the king of kings. Freely available. That's the story of the vineyard. But this all leads into... <coughs> Mummy's request. Remember, Matthew doesn't always write things chronologically, totally. They do follow a certain theme as he gets closer to the cross. But sometimes he juggles them around a little bit, like I've explained before, just to make sure a theme builds, like a great storyteller. And so he's put these two narratives together. And this, strangely enough, leads straight into Mummy's request. It's great that the video brought James and John straight in the pictures. All three of them came to bring the question because Mark's gospel makes it quite clear that James and John are also part of the questioning. And even in here, verse 22, mum asks the question and then it says, Jesus said to them. So it's quite clear all three are involved. They can't blame their mum. This lady, James and John's mum, is called Salome. It's highly likely... It's not as obvious as with uh, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mum. We can see her relationship to Mary. We can see that John the Baptist is Jesus' second cousin. But if you piece the clues together from the Gospels, it's highly likely, we don't know 100%, but it's very, very likely, most likely, that Salome is Mary's sister, which means that James and John are most likely Jesus' cousins. Are they using family status as a leg up? possible. And yet they dragged mum into it as well. If they've dragged their mum in to do the questioning, that's really embarrassing. <laughs> if they haven't and mum's done the questioning for them, that's even more embarrassing. Either way, this is an embarrassing situation and I bet for years, decades after, that they just regretted it. it like, oh my life, face palm, I've done it again. They're trying to further themselves but it's just very embarrassing. Have they used family status? 
quite possible, actually. Jeez, they're cousins. Could we, uh, you know, no, they're just friends, brothers, do you know what I mean? But cousins, <laughs> to family, do you know what I mean? Look after your own, you know what I mean? Can I sit next to you in the kingdom of heaven? Just being related to or busy mates with the pastor doesn't give you a leg up in the kingdom. Some people, some people, I've, not, I've seen them, some people think they are. If I'd be best friends with them, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus soon puts them straight. In fact, what he says to them is, can you drink the same cup as me? How much of that question they really understood, I don't think they understood a lot. Because they went, yep. Yeah. <laughs> do you really realise what that question means? He's already just told them what's going to happen to him. I'm going to die and be raised again. Remember, this is only a few months away. This is like autumn, winter time. The following spring is the cross. Not far away now. Can you drink the same cup as me? Yeah, of course you can. In fact, they do. James gets put to death by the sword. You read about it in the book of Acts. John isn't martyred, but he, he dies in exile, in old age, on the island of Patmos, as a Roman prisoner, from where he wrote the book of Revelation. He still suffered. They did drink the same cup. But this whole thing here, the attitude behind James and John and Salome, is exactly the same as the attitude we find amongst the vineyard workers. It's tussling for position, tussling for favour, elbowing for blessing. It's about not being content. It's about thinking that we know better than God. We know better than the owner of the vineyard. We know better than God. But we've got it all upside down to start with. That's the problem. When we have that attitude, we've got everything upside down. Verse 16. The owner, effectively Jesus himself, says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The other way around. And verses 26 to 27, it backs the same theme up. This is when he's talking to the brothers and to the disciples who are indignant about it. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This whole first, last thing was what the African slaves in the Afro-American slave trade, this is what they latched onto as their future heaven. They saw that they saw what they didn't have. They saw first will be last. And the last will be first. They saw it as status. I'm not blaming them, because if I was one of them, I'm sure I'd have felt the same way. But they saw a reflection of what their future heaven would be like, because it, and they, they latched onto it because that's what they didn't have. We, the slaves, will be first in the kingdom of heaven, and our oppressors will be last. Hallelujah! Praise God! Amen! But... They were looking at it as status, which is why they latched onto that more than other aspects of heaven. Just as Islamic suicide bombers, what's their heaven look like? 72 virgins. They'd be gutted if they're 72 vegans, wouldn't they? But they latch onto that because that's what they don't have. In their culture, sex is repressed. They go, ah, so their heaven is what they don't get. Way. The Jews were the same. What was their image of the Messiah they were looking for? 
a great king who would kill all the Romans because it's what they didn't have. We've got to be careful. We don't filter out what we read in Scripture and what we hear from God in such a way that that's the bit I'm looking for. I'm not actually understanding the whole picture, God's story, and seeing it from his point of view rather than from ours. We keep it upside down so often. It's here, again, first and last, those African slaves were thinking about status. He's not just talking about status in first and last. He's talking about a heart. See the difference? Because the other ten disciples weren't much better. It says here they were indignant at the brothers for having questioned and asked Jesus about having status in the kingdom of heaven. The ten disciples were indignant. Do you want to know why they're indignant? Because they hadn't thought of it first. It's less likely a righteous anger, more that they hadn't got there before James and John. So that's the first two bad attitudes. What do I get out of this? Or what's the least I can get away with? I'm forgetting it's all about a worshipful heart. So there's the third attitude available. What bigs up Jesus instead of me? That should always be our attitude. What bigs him up? What proclaims him as king? What makes him first? What makes him number one in my life? What makes him the hero of my story? It's all about attitude. And that comes from following his attitude. Ronald Reagan had a plaque on his desk when he was president. And it said, there is no limit to what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Think about that. There's no limit to what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Don't look out for number one in your eyes. Look out for number one in reality, him. He'll look after you. He'll give you what you need. He'll provide for you. You've got security in him already if you're his. Fix your eyes on him. It's following his example and his attitude. Because in verse 28, Jesus says, after saying, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Here he is exemplifying it. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus led by example in utter humility. How? We all know, but let's remind ourselves. There's this prophecy in the middle of these two sections of the narrative. Jesus says, verse 17, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Look where he's got to go through beforehand. He willingly did that. He volunteered for that. See, who's the hero of the vineyard story? It's not the first lot of workers. It's not the second lot of workers. The hero is the owner. He should always be our hero. Every story we tell in a preach on a Sunday, Jesus should always be the hero. Our life story, if we're truly living for him, it should always make it quite clear that Jesus is the hero. Not me, not Stevie. I'm not the big I am. 
is. He is not a character in our story. We are characters in his. We should always mind our attitude. So I've got attitude. Louder. Keep you awake. I've got attitude. Excellent. Because the phrase, he's got a bit of an attitude. That's a bit derogatory, isn't it? We use that word in that kind of expression, don't we? He's got a bit of an attitude. I didn't say a bad one, but you know what I meant. But in fact, we all have attitude. Good or bad, that's the difference. If you're one of his, you're a missionary. Good or bad, that's the difference. We need to take Christ's example. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2, before we end. It's a familiar passage to most of us, but the trouble is, it can become too familiar, can't it? So let's look at it again in light of today. Just reading verses 5 to 8 of Philippians 2. Note the word here. Verse 5 of Philippians 2. Your attitude or mindset. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God first, did not consider equality with God first something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, last, taking the very nature of a servant, last, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What was his attitude? The first becoming last. First and last isn't just about status. First and last is about an attitude. It's about a heart. He, the first, became last. He gave up his rights, his privileges. He gave up his status in that respect. And he gave up his life. He gave up eternal community with God for those 30-something hours. That had never been broken until that moment because of our sin and God couldn't look on him, the Father, as he bore our sins on the cross, that community, eternal, never began, that eternal community, perfect loving relationship with the Father was broken for 30-something hours. It wasn't, I've got that wrong now. (laughs) It was broken at that moment on the cross. Then he went to be with him in paradise. His body was dead for 30-something hours, that's my fault. But that relationship, while he was on the cross, was broken when he gave up his life. He did that for you. He did that for you. He didn't need to humble himself, but he chose to. He did so so that we who are spiritually proud, we might be saved. He came looking in the marketplace, he came looking outside the marketplace for the likes of us. Many of us weren't even looking for him but he came for us. And he gave us purpose, he gave us security, he's given us all eternal, equal pay. If you think life's unfair, actually without him, we get what we deserve. Because of our sin, because of our selfishness, the stains in our heart, sin. Life is fair because we get what we deserve without him. 
with him, we get what we don't deserve. Eternal mercy, grace, love, security, purpose. Undeserved favour. And it's all because the first became last. Say I've got attitude. What's it going to be? Shall we pray? Lord, it's immense to even try and wrap our heads around the fact that you, holy God, eternal King, gave up your place on the throne to come and sit amongst us in the likeness of a man Nothing special about you, as your word says. You were just average looking. You walked amongst us. You willingly became last. You came to serve us in what you did on the cross. Not just serve us in terms of service during your life, but the ultimate service upon that cross. You volunteered to go through that. The agony, the pain, bearing all of our sin, the world's sin on your shoulders so that we don't have to. (coughs) Jesus, as much as our little brains may struggle with that sometimes, to really take that in, Lord, may yet again this week, may you reveal more of that to us, to our hearts, that when we realise the grace we're under, when we realise the mercy you've shown us, undeserved, may we live in the light of that, May we continue to do the things we do, continue to serve where we serve, within church life or within work life, within family life. Whether at work or we're at play, Lord, may all we do be in the light of the knowledge of your grace upon us in our lives, that we increasingly might be living a servant-hearted attitude, a worshipful attitude, that... We don't do it to tick the box. We don't do it to please you because that would never change. But we do it just because we love you and because you loved us first. Lord, help us to remember that the first became last so that we might be saved. Lord Jesus, all we can say is thank you and may our lives reflect that. In your name we pray. Amen. got any more questions about this morning or if you don't know Jesus you want to find out more about what we're talking about please come and find one of us please speak to us if you want prayer for anything for healing for anything going on going on in your life please come and grab one of us if not teas and coffees and biscuits are available